Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the program, everybody. You're listening to the South Bay Show, South Bay Spotlight, on Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm your host, Jackie Balestra, and for those of you who haven't yet heard, our longtime host, Joe Terry, has taken a teaching gig this summer and is unable to join us on Thursday morning, so I'll be taking over hosting duties for the next couple of months. So thank you so much for tuning in. Live, love, laugh, and leave a legacy. That's what we do here in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and there is no better place to do just that. This segment of the South Bay Show is brought to you by Your Actualized Visions. A local advertising agency, Your Actualized Visions offers all your advertising needs under one roof. From logo design, business cards, banners, and signage, to online services such as website design, SEO management, promotional videos, reputation management, and loyalty promotions, you name it and your actualized visions will handle it for you on time and under budget. Built on the needs of their clients, your actualized visions is competitively priced and economical, saving you money and greatly enhancing your bottom line. At Your Actualized Visions, customer service is all local with one point of contact. No more dealing with robo-answering machines, getting the runaround, or speaking to someone in another country. Your Actualized Visions understands your hyper-local advertising needs and focuses on bringing you real clients. They do not buy likes, followers, or fake results. Your campaigns are real, built with real community followers who want to purchase your services and products. The only thing standing in the way of your company's success is you now picking up the phone right now and calling your actualized visions at 310-413-8773. To learn more about what your actualized visions can do for you and your company, visit the website at youractualizedvisions.com. Your Actualized Visions, your dreams today, not someday. You can learn more about the show and listen to prior episodes on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the South Bay Show or on my website, southbaybyjackie.com, southbaybyjackie.com. Persistence, passion, principle, and purpose, that's what we talk about here on the South Bay Show. And joining me this morning is our almost brand new co-host and producer, Deanne Chase, founder of Chase Law Group. Now, for all your business law needs, Visit the website at southbaybusinesslawyers.com. Good morning, Deanne. How are you doing this morning? Hi. Good morning, Jackie. Doing great. Very excited doing... about our show this morning. Yes, I am excited, too. Um, we, we, should, we should just jump right into it. But before we do, um, I just wanted to say last weekend, it's like the genie's out of the bottle now. Last weekend, my husband and I took a long bike ride, and the bike path, the Strand, the beaches, the streets, everybody was out. And I would say about maybe a quarter to a third of them were wearing masks. Did, did, yeah. is, that, is, that your, is that your experience? Have you been out and about and... Yeah, you know, I was, I was uh, walking. Oh, well, my daughter just graduated from Miracosta last last right, week and right. so uh we were down there on the beach and um and I know that there was a lot of controversy about people wearing or not wearing masks but the the high school did a great job by giving all the kids masks and they a lot of people were wearing them but um 
And I've been, yeah, when I've been out and about, I've been noticing a lot more people, you know, out and about. And it's just wonderful to see, you know, to see our community again. Yeah, it is. It is. It was, it was, it almost seemed normal last weekend. We had, you know, some gorgeous weather and, um, you know, as you, it was good to see everybody out and about, but as it, as I said, the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think once people, you know, are back out and places are opening up, I just don't see it, you know, putting it back in. I don't, I don't see going back because we keep hearing on, on the national news, at least we keep hearing that we're still in the first wave of this virus and, you know, people are, you know, authorities are threatening to shut things back down if we have spikes or surges and stuff. Uh, But we'll we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. People, I don't think people are going to go back to their houses. I think it's just a new way of living. You know, it's just a new way of living. You have your mask, you keep your mask handy, you know, different, you know, places you go to require you to wear a mask, you wear a mask. And, and just as a matter of of practice, I think people are just going to be maintaining a social distance. I think the days of the handshake are over. Yeah. Yeah, and hugs, and hugs. Yeah, and I, hugs. I, I agree with I know. you. I yeah. know, I'm a hugger. <laughs> it's really hard not to. I went in for a hug. I went in for a hug last someone, and they like kind of like walked away from me. I was like, oh, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm a it's hugger. sad. Yeah. Well, the fist bump and the elbow bump, or or you know, the elbow bump even more than the fist bump. I'm getting a lot of that now. And um, yeah. last week I ran an errand, or maybe it was this weekend. I had to run, drop off some stuff at the dry cleaners, and. Um, I, I got one foot in the door and I went, oh, I forgot my mask and I ran back to my car. So, yep. It's, it's going to take some Yeah, now I have them to. everywhere. They're like my, my reading glasses. I just keep them. Yes. I keep a couple in the car. I keep one in my purse because I'm always, it's like, it's like the grocery bag going into like the grocery store, you know, it's like, I always forget yes. that bag in the car. Well, same with the mask. Yes. Yes. That's funny. You're absolutely right. I, exactly. I have one in my purse and I have one in the, in the car. You're right. Um, all right. So, um, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get to the show. Deanne, who's our, our guest this morning? We have a returning guest this morning, Tom Backley, CEO of the beach cities health district. This morning, Tom will give us an update on the impact the coronavirus pandemic has had on the beach cities, where we stand now, how we move forward, and we'll also learn about the various community programs the Beach City's Health District offers, the new COVID-19 test site, and the status of the Healthy Living Campus Project. Welcome back to the program, Tom. We're so glad you could join us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be here. Good, good morning. morning. Good morning, Tom. Yeah, it's always good to have you. You know, you're our go-to source for reliable information, you know, and we, and, and we do really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and um, so, as Deanne mentioned in the intro, we have a lot to cover this morning. But first, can can you give us an update on the coronavirus and its impact specifically on the beach cities? I'm I'm like curious as to how we fared compared to other parts of the country or even other parts of of Southern California. Yes, I have the numbers right in front of me, and so we'll go through the numbers and then maybe go back into the discussion the two of you are having regarding masks okay. and kind of the new normal, if you will. But uh, so Great. numbers uh, for the three beach cities, so this is Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, and Redondo Beach, uh, we have a total reported cases of 304 cases, 304. And then, uh, sadly, we have uh, 12 deaths in the beach cities from the coronavirus. And so a relatively small number of cases compared to L.A. County, which has a total number of cases of 77,189 and L.A. County deaths of uh, 2,991. 
And so there's some other numbers that we look at. We look at really we want to look at trends and what's happening and, and what we're seeing in the beach cities in the last couple of days is a slight uh, uptick, but um, in enhanced testing. Um, so for all three beach cities, they're right around the, the same uh, number of um, cases per 100,000, and it's right about 200, uh, which is low compared to L.A. County. Uh, it's it's low compared lower than Torrance, and we're seeing some surrounding uh, cities uh, like, uh, let me look real quick here, like Inglewood and Hawthorne, uh, just to give you some perspective that are you know, up in the in the 600 range, uh, LA County is is up in the in the 600 range per hundred thousand. So we're about a third of of sort of the the rate, if you will, that uh, LA County has and surrounding cities has. Uh, as a regional draw with the beaches, um, there is sort of an asterisk there that this virus knows no boundaries, and and we um, have a lot of visitors, and of course we uh, encourage that in the beach cities, and so. That's been part of the, I think, policy challenge for uh, the cities that we've been working closely with as it relates to opening the beaches, opening facilities. And as you all talked about, really, uh, the mindset of, of um, how we move forward and interact, we to physically distance but stay connected. And so how do you do that? And, and so the district has been uh, working hard on that. We have five or six objectives that we've been pursuing with all of our resources uh, at the health district since March. Um, we, As we talked last time, we, we pivoted to really focus solely on COVID-19. We're starting to, to work on some other projects now, like the Healthy Living Campus. Um, but that's what the health district is doing. The, the other uh, metric that we like to look at is just uh, what's our, our positive rate. And so because we have a testing site, it's now on our campus, we're able to see what our positive rate is for the region. So it's not just the health district, but uh, we're below uh, 4%, which is really good. Uh, LA County, that, that's positive rate, positive test rate. <clears throat> and the county's at about 8%. And so um, the county has ticked up here lately. Um, that 9% is kind of the number that the state looks at to see if they can continue to ease restrictions. So that's a quick, quick look at the numbers. Well, speaking of you, the magic number, that's what I'm looking for because I, you know, the testing. I've had several conversations with people about testing, and you know, there's, oh, I'm going to go get tested. You go get tested today, and you don't have it, so they count that as a no. But say you get it two days from now, um, right. and then you go back and you get tested. And I guess they can look you up in the system and say, okay, now they have it? Or do they just say, oh, no, here's a new positive? Um, I, how does that work, and how much of the population do you have to test to get a good idea of where you are overall? You know, it's like, it's like, it's like polling, you know, when, a, when a, one of the major news stations calls an election – there has to be right. a certain percentage of people that vote. Is there is there a magic number for this testing? Well, just by example, in LA County, we've we've tested we've tested 854,000 people with a, a county the size of of LA County. That's a relatively low number. Um, that meets the the testing threshold that the state has set. 
in order to um, start to reopen and move through the, the reopening plan. Uh, we've tested 20,000 uh, here in the South Bay between uh, the work we were doing at the Galleria and now at our at our testing site. So you're right, that <laughs> second test would be just count, that would be counted as a positive. And so um, testing is an area that I think the nation obviously would agree we need to improve upon um, as a nation. Um, again, our rate, our positive rate of 4% um, is is good to see. Um, it, it's well below the 8 9% threshold. So that's a long way of saying we're not testing enough, kind of in our opinion, uh, but we're kind of just barely at the at the threshold to, to allow some decisions to be made. But I think your health your health professionals would say we need to be testing much more. And I think everybody's trying to balance um, the issues of the economy uh, with safety. And uh, yeah, that's what. And I think that's what we're uh, struggling with. I the analogy I use is that I think, and you all were describing it a little bit, is that we're in the adaptation stage we're, we're now adapting um and, and this statement may concern some folks but if this was um climate change we, we'd sort of be in the same place where we're now at a point where we're, we're kind of adapting to uh, a change uh, that's happening we've we've um, no longer can really mitigate uh, the impact um the, with this virus and so we're now adapting to it Right. Yeah. And that's what, um, I think that's what we were saying that people are not going to go back to their homes at this point in time. They're just adapting their lifestyles. Yeah. And one thing that we're really going to be continue to push at the health district and is directly consistent with our mission is that that personal responsibility. We focus, of course, on community health and preventative health, and we've been doing that for 20 years. And so our sort of motto, if you will, is is it starts with you. You know, it starts with the individual and. I, th- I think with this virus, I'll speak for myself. I sometimes look at, hey, what you know, why is this person making that decision, or why didn't they do enough, or um, you know, we I have a tendency to sort of look at others to to maybe fix this thing. And this is a rare occasion with with a, a national, international, worldwide crisis that it really comes back to us and our behavior. And so you all were talking about. Uh, masks and there's there everybody wants to know what the answer is on on masks um you know, it's our position that if you're uh, going to be interacting with people uh, this virus is transmitted by people uh, you should have a mask on and uh, at this point and um i have a lot of different masks you know i used to live where there was snow you know and i would have three or four jackets lined up on the wall one uh, you know, for the blizzard, one for kind of the, right. the cool days, and then one for the slightly <laughs> rainy days. And so that's how I look at my masks. You know, when I'm going to uh, Costco or out to the testing site, I I put the I put the N95 or the you know the parka on when I'm going to go grab a sandwich. Um, you know, I, I put the the surgical mask on when I'm when I'm just going to be out and about. I have my face covering and. I think that's the mentality that you all were describing that we're going to need to be in, that when you go outside and it's snowing, you, you should wear a jacket. And uh, That's a good analogy. And all, that's, and that's a very good that analogy, yeah. 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 So no, that's a good analogy. And it, and it comes back to that personal responsibility. And one of the things that we're really working on is um, when someone makes a choice, and, and again, I'm I'm looking at, myself on this when someone makes a choice i need to respect 
that choice because I don't really know what's going on with them. And if I'm wondering why they're driving around in their car by themselves with a mask on, maybe they're going to pick up an elderly parent that's going for a procedure or maybe. um, And and so our message really is, hey, it comes back to you and comes back to the individual and us uh, to make good decisions because our behavior affects others too. That's that's right. No mask shaming. You know, you, no you, it's go, and it's going it's going both ways. You know, I have friends that have been yes. screamed at because they didn't have a mask on, and and I've had other people I know. People are like, "What are you wearing a mask for? It, 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 that doesn't help you. It's stupid. You're stupid for wearing a mask." So there's a lot of mask shaming going on. And you're right. It's a personal it's a personal decision. As a matter of fact, um, the other day I I took a bike ride with a friend. Uh, by the way, Tom. I didn't leave the house for the first 10 weeks. I took this very seriously. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it's only it's only in the last 3 weeks or so that I've really that I've I've actually ventured out that I've gone for a bike ride, you know, that I've gone for for, you know, in I've gone we went out to eat. We went out to eat for the first time last week. Last Wednesday night my husband right. and I went out. Um so I've taken the whole thing very very seriously, but it's interesting. I was I went on a bike ride with a friend this weekend. And we were talking, and she explained – she said something to me that really shocked me. She said, oh, I have COPD. And I was like, really? And she said, mm. yeah. And, you know, there there are a lot of other ways to get COPD other than smoking. You know, I always think smoking, but apparently, like, if you have pneumonia or different lung issues, you can get – I mean, so she looks young and healthy and vibrant, and she's not – doesn't have a hacking cough or anything, but she has COPD. Which, as I said, I wasn't aware. So, so you don't know. You don't know when you see somebody walking without a mask on. They could have some respiratory issue. Uh, you, you know, you don't know. So everybody just needs to back off on, you know, the whole mask mask shaming thing, and 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 do what works for you. And you know, everybody keep your opinions to yourself. Um, okay, enough about the masks. Um, you 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 touched on this, Tom. The county COVID nineteen test site recently moved from the Galleria to the Beach Cities campus. Can you tell us why the move and how it's been going? Yeah. Um, So early on with L.A. County, we were able to partner, and we were one of the first L.A. County test sites there at the Galleria, and um, that worked great. It was a partnership between uh, the mall owners and uh, the county and us and fire department, and we had lifeguards, you know, that didn't have anything you know, they didn't have jobs to go to, and so they were able to assist. Little Company of Mary joined in, and so we had this uh, partnership that, that worked out really well and then um, started to see the reopening, and the, the mall was really working with us to try to uh, continue the test site there while they reopened. And uh, we just made the decision a little over a week ago um, that it was best to move over to our site. UCLA had been testing uh, at our site there at, at Prospect and Barrel, 514 Prospect. So uh, UCLA had been testing there for months as part of their clinic, and they were wrapping up uh, that drive-through testing. And so it it just worked out where we were able to actually use some of their tents, move them over to a different part of the campus that wouldn't impact uh, the tenants as much. And uh, we've uh, gone ahead and, and continued the the testing at our at our campus. Uh, we how, how does it work as far as the testing yeah, I, goes? Like, yeah. what is the you know, like, do you need to make an appointment? What are the hours? That sort of thing. And how long does it take to get a return test? So uh, need to, uh, and we've done just uh, 
20,000 tests. I just wanted to put that number out. Um, so you go on to the LA County, LA City uh, website. So if you just put into your, you know, your search, you know, you just put in LA County, LA City COVID tests and the link will pop up and you go in and you, it'll ask you if you have symptoms for an LA County site, you need to have uh, at least one symptom. So if you put no symptoms down, it'll, it'll route you to LA City um, sites. But if, if you have a symptom or if you're over the age 65 or you're uh, a, a, a worker, you know, a health worker or uh, first responder, um, you can come to, to our site. So it's a little tricky there. So when people are navigating the site, really look at those symptoms and see if you have a symptom. And, and if you do have a symptom, then you'll be, uh, it'll pop up that you, you can come to the Redondo site um, at Beach Cities and you make an appointment and uh, you can sometimes get them same day and you come in and you, you drive through, uh, depending on, on the traffic at the site, it, it, it'll take maybe 15 to 20 minutes uh, to do it. So we're not having the long lines that Dodger Stadium is having. And then, uh, right now, it's about a two- to three-day uh, turnaround. Uh, the, the test at the site has changed. It, it used to be an oral swab that you would do by yourself, you know, in the car with a nurse kind of outside, you know, helping you if you needed anything. Uh, now it's a nasal it's a nasal swab, but it's not the uh, what a friend of mine calls the brain tickler that, that goes way <laughs> up into your nose. I, you sure I heard that, yeah. That was scary. <laughs> so, yes. It's it's not that one. It's it's kind of an intermediate brain tickler, if you will. It goes you know goes up <laughs> up your nose that that you do yourself, and then you uh, give the test kit uh, sealed back to the nurse, and then you drive out and you get your results in about two to three days. Interesting. Are yeah, there, I heard are there about faster that. Faster testing. Um, I, I asked because like I was on a I've you know I have clients that are in the entertainment industry and. Production is reopening um, in in LA County, and um, and the uh, production sites are really going to require you know daily, weekly, three times a week type testing. And and I was just wondering logistically how that would work with the turnaround times of you know of test results. But maybe they're using some sort of specialty provider. You well, know about and that? lots of yeah, and that's one of the things that that's come out. These are are free tests, of course. Nothing's free, but it's it's through LA County, and you don't you're not charged to do the test. So we get the test from LA County. There are some uh, rapid tests, but we don't have the the two three hour turnaround tests that that are being used in in some other countries. Um, there are some private tests that that might take more like a day turnaround, but we're uh, we're getting um, you know 400 reservations a day at at our site. So we're, we typically sell out there, if you will, and uh, the two-day turnaround's not bad, but you're right. That's kind of the logistical issue, and and um, and again, it comes back to the individual decision and risk and how much contact you're having. If you have a test and then you don't have any contact with people or you're wearing your mask a lot, then you have a very low risk of of contracting the virus from your test. Now, if you take a test and you're not wearing your your mask and you're not socially distancing then that may influence your decision about whether you want to take more tests. Mm. And, and mm. Uh, I know it's not an exact science. And there's no sort of one answer. I, I think that's what's uh, caused a lot of debate, obviously. 
awesome. It has is the testing good now? Because I keep here, you know, occasionally, not occasionally, almost every other day, I hear somebody saying, "Yeah, the testing isn't isn't perfect," or it, how how is just the testing for whether or not you have it? Is it as solid now? Yeah. Well, it's still in the in the seventy five to eighty percent range. Uh, with this test, this nasal test is a little better than the oral swab, and so it, again, it's not perfect. Um, it, it gives you sort of a, a good, um, you know, seventy five percent chance of, of accuracy, which many of us would say, well, that's not very good. But it um, that's the best that we have as a nation right now. And again, mm-hmm. I think the testing is sort of. Um, and what I'm trying to describe is that it's one tool, if you will, in this personal accountability of of dealing with this new normal. Uh, masks are a tool. Getting tests if you feel that you've been exposed or um, is, is a good way to go. Um, and and really just being careful when you're around people, staying connected. That's the message that's been a difficult one for us. Is you saw initially, you know, the word came out socially distance. Well, we don't like that one very much. You want to physically distance while staying socially connected. And that's mm-hmm. where we're really working on next. Um, because in the South Bay, as we've talked about before, we struggle with stress. That's our really major health issue. We're very physically healthy here in the three beach cities, but through our work with blue zones and Gallup um, measuring things over the last 10 years, uh, stress is an area that, um, we are our stress levels are way high compared to the rest of the nation, and then now we have one of the most stressful events ever. And so that that is a huge focus for us: is how do we stay mentally healthy and happy? So basically, what you're saying is that the whole laid back image that people have of living at the beach in Southern California isn't on point. We we have high stress levels. Our stress levels, as measured by Gallup, exceed. Uh, post-Katrina, Louisiana. That was before wow. COVID. That was before wow. COVID. Wow. And so, wow, um, <laughs> and then our... What are, what are the stressors, I wonder? What What is causing well, us people, to be so stressed? Yeah, a lot of people say, how can that be? <laughs> you live at the beach, and, uh, you know, how, how, how can you be stressed? Uh, we've done a lot of work around that. You know, there, there are different ideas about what may be causing it, but I think there are just a lot of pressures with uh, real estate prices, with um, many people maybe needing to commute in order to maintain that way of life. Um, and mm-hmm. so that uh, adds adds stress. And our, our coping mechanisms are uh, not great. You know, we, we, our, our levels of uh, alcohol uh, and drug consumption is high compared to the rest of L.A. County. It's high for our youth compared to the rest of L.A. County. And and so that is really a – we continue to focus, of course, on nutrition. That's a huge program for us. And we really are focusing on this mental health side and, and giving people tools to, to deal with um, stress. And, again, not maybe well, judging, well, how could you be <clears> – <throat> How could you be stressed? In, in Park City, we used to call these sort of things gray poupon problems, you know, where you ran out of mustard or whatever. And, and <laughs> hey, you know, stress is real. And, and uh, we are yeah. seeing, you know, the physical effects of that stress with higher blood pressure uh, and, and uh, diabetes. And, and so we are seeing some of those indicators among our residents that are directly related to stress. And so with COVID, uh, we're concerned about, uh, the future, and we're going to keep doing what we've been doing for 
the last 20 years as a preventative health agency and the last 60 as a as a health district. Um, wow. Well, you know, that whole stress topic, that's a whole other show. Uh, and we have we have we still have a lot to talk about so we're gonna take our station break a little bit early um i'm your host jackie balestra and you're listening to the south bay show a hyper local podcast that airs every thursday and friday morning at 8 a.m on blog talk radio the show features the many fabulous things to do places to go and people to know in our south bay from el segundo to the palos verdes peninsula we cover it all so be sure to tune in each week and keep up with what's going down in our beachside bubble. And we're back. So, Tom, you just had a virtual uh, board of directors meeting last night about the proposed Healthy Living Campus. And I saw that there have been significant changes made to it. Um, take us through that. Tell, tell us. Tell us. We, we, we had a show. Uh, we had you on the show when you first announced it. Uh, right. Gosh, I guess it's a couple of years ago now. So, where where is it now? Great. Well, I'll try to uh, give the Reader's Digest version. I, I guess that's still a thing. No, Digest, no take your time. We we don't need okay. Reader's Digest. Take, take, take your time. Take your time. <laughs> okay. So, uh, as people are aware, uh, Health District, we, we started out as a hospital district back um, in the late 50s, and the three cities came together to build the hospital. We uh, then built the hospital, operated it um, ourselves until the 80s, had a, a private contractor come in and operate it into the 90s. And then in the 90s, there was a switch from hospital districts to health. And so that was done at the state level with the enabling legislation. And that coincided with us um, closing the hospital uh, at that time. And so we have the old hospital, South Bay Hospital building, uh, which is on Prospect and Barrel. And so since... Uh, the late 90s for about 20 years we've been focusing on preventative health and community health we've become a a leader in that field we had the surgeon general come visit here a couple of years ago based upon what we've uh, been able to do with blue zones based upon the work we've been able to do with reducing childhood obesity in redondo maybe we could come back to that that could be a whole nother show too as as we uh, (laughs) talk about some of those uh successes that we've had with health equity uh during this time uh where that's a major issue as well. But um, so what we have is a, is a hospital building that's 60 years old um, that, um, you know, is used for medical services. We lease it out uh, and we use that revenue to uh, fund our, our 40 community health programs. And that building has gotten to a point where at 60 years old, um, it, it still uh, provides some revenue for our programs, but uh, we are projecting that that's going to end uh, the building does not meet seismic safety uh, standards. Um, is not earthquake compliant. You know, six months ago, we had our emergency planning and we identified our risks as, um, and, uh, I'm sure you could guess them, as earthquake, pandemic, and a cyber attack. And I think myself mm-hmm. included, all of us six months ago would have said, right, I, I get it. I, I, I think that could happen someday, but I, I don't think it's going to happen today. And uh-huh. I kind of uh-huh. not sure. Not sure. I really not sure. I really want to go through a lot of pain or 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 really a hard look at changes that would need to be made in order to adjust to that. Well, one of those has happened, right? And so the other one is earthquake. That that building is not seismically uh, reinforced. We have 
120 souls living in there uh, at Silverado, which is a memory care facility. They're there, obviously, 24-7, not to mention the people that work there. And so we need to address the seismic issues of that building. And so we've been looking at, should we redevelop the campus to not only address the seismic issues, but should we have it reflect who we are? Uh, we started out as a hospital. Uh, it's a hospital. Uh, we're now a center of excellence for community health and preventative health. And so should the campus really reflect our more current health needs? And so there are different components that we've proposed. We've spent uh, three years working with the community to develop a master plan. Uh, we came up with a master plan that we've talked about at this on this show, and we began the EIR process. And that master plan included open space, it included a wellness pavilion, which would be a place where people could come to be well and, and do what we talked about as far as taking that personal ownership of their own health rather than going to a hospital when you're sick and you come to a place where you can be well and, and help um, prevent health issues in the future for yourself. So those were all components uh, of the, the campus. In addition to that uh, was assisted living. Um, we uh, do not have a lot of uh, assisted living in the South Bay, um, and that's a, a defined term there. You know, people would say, oh, there's plenty of senior living, very different. You know, there's, there's uh, skilled nursing facilities, which those are the ones that are getting hit hard by COVID because there are uh, two or three people to a room and you have nurses coming in and out of that room and are going to different facilities. And so that's a skilled nursing facility. Uh, we came up with this vision of what about assisted living? Uh, we do a lot of work, as you know, trying to keep people in their home for as long as possible. We have five licensed mm -hmm. social workers that provide care to people in their home. And uh, when people can no longer safely remain in their home, they're leaving the South Bay. They're, they're not able to stay in the community. And so there was this uh, concept of what about assisted living with, with the project. So we did some, did some market studies, and market studies showed that there was a demand for 420 units of assisted living. That would be about 550 people. Um, and we put that into the master plan. Uh, which was a longer-term plan, and decided to then uh, begin the environmental impact review process. Uh, as you might imagine, you know, I, I spent four years in Hermosa during uh, the oil issue, so um, mm -hmm. understand kind of uh, how uh, sometimes we react to things. You add in the stress uh, numbers a little bit that we talked about, and we, we've had a strong <laughs> reaction to that from uh, primarily the Torrance residents. There have been many in Redondo that are concerned uh, about the project, and so uh, we want to get all of the data that we can. That's what the environmental impact review or EIR process does is it, it quantifies the impacts of a project. And so we had started that process. We had gotten the public scoping and public input around that project. And then we decided, hey, let's, let's look at, based upon what we're hearing, do we want to modify it now before we really get into um, the analysis? Do we want to modify the concept? And so that's what the board um, talked about last night. And so they uh, directed us to go forward with a, a modified um, concept that basically cuts the number of residential care units in half from 420 down to 220, uh, reduces uh, the construction time uh, of the project, uh, maintains 
a lot of the open space we had it, it contemplated two and a half or it contemplated three and a half acres of open space it's now two and a half acres and so um we moved and relocated some some buildings so that it would impact some neighborhoods um, less um, and some of the buildings are are a little higher in order to uh sort of balance what we need in order to make the project work financially so you you can see I'm describing a trade off discussion and that's where I'd really like uh people to try to be is that rarely do we get everything we want in life and and uh, hopefully we can would look at trade-offs. So if open space is important to us, uh, then in order to make this project work financially, maybe some of the buildings need to be a little higher. If we really don't like the high buildings because of the impacts, then let's maybe have less open space. But let's get the data, let, let's get the, the sort of the technical answer to what the impacts are of these things before we start making decisions. And so that's what the board asked us to do is get the, it was very clear from them, get the EIR done so that we have the data and so that the community has the data to make a decision about where we want to go with our campus. So that was the direction uh, that we had last night. We had, um, I think, somewhere around 150 uh, comments, went till 1230 in the morning, um, and uh, the board uh, listened to all the comments, and uh, we had people uh, speaking virtually, we read comments if if they weren't there to speak, and everything was um, read into the record and um, took the comment. And I think people need to be real clear if they're if they're just hearing blah 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 right now. This would be the time to to listen. No decision was made last night. The only direction that was given was reduce the scope of the project that we're studying so that we can get the data to make decisions about how it's going to impact us. And so that was the, the direction that they gave. So you're, you're going to reduce it more than you've already had, you already have from the 420 Correct. to 220. So, Oh, wow. All right. It, so, it keeps yeah, getting can, smaller. Hmm. Yeah. And so, and that 220 is an increase of 160, right? Because we have 60, units right now for the memory care that are double occupancy. That's the 120 uh, people that I talked about earlier. So we're, we're talking about an increase from what we have today of 160 assisted living units. Uh, two other things that are, that are new that I need to mention is that we want to uh, look at what's called a PACE program, or it's called, it's a program for uh, all access uh, for elderly adults, uh, it's it's a sort of a one-stop place where older adults can come to meet all of their medical and social needs and medication needs. Uh, this is a program that's been around for about 20 years, but is now just uh, taking off. We're, we're recommending that that be a component of the project. And then, Jackie, you've probably been around for, for some of these discussions. We, we think it's time to, once again, look at a pool and look at aquatics uh, on our mm -hmm. facility. And so we have a 24,000 square foot space uh, in this refined master plan for a pool. And so we're going to be uh, looking at, at that as well. So uh, less units, less construction time. We, we did have to, uh, in order to make a pool, make a pool work potentially, and in order to have open space continue to be a priority, we, we did have to go a little higher uh, in some parts of the project, but we uh, tried to locate that away from the neighborhoods uh, as best we could. 
and we got some comments that we didn't do that well enough last night, and uh, our response is, right, we need to study that, and we need to uh, get really understand what the impacts are of that so that we can make a balanced decision as a community. Yes, well, we know very well that you can't please everybody. You know, that, that mm-hmm. never happens. You're, you're always going to have people that are, that are, you know, against it, anything. But it's interesting, you know, the term senior tsunami or silver tsunami, which we're in the middle of right now. Um, I can't remember the exact, it started several years ago where uh, 10,000 people a day would be turning 65 right. For, right. for a period of 20 years, for a period of 20 years. Um, and when you look at that, when I look at that, obviously you have to plan long term. Um, I don't know how far back people started looking at that. You know, I, I only heard about it when it started happening, you know, but I'm sure there were some think tanks out there that were thinking about it 20 years ago. It's interesting, though, because the senior facilities uh, or assisted living, it, it's it's cyclical. It's like schools. You know how how neighborhoods at one time will have you know, a big school district, and then the kids grow up, and for whatever reason, you don't have as many kids enrolling, so schools get closed down. And this kind of seems similar to me in that, is that you have this wave we're in the middle of now, and we need it now, but 15 years from now, you may not need as much. And I'm just curious how much of that goes into the thought process, Tom. How 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 do you study that? Yeah, and that's, that's the analysis part. That's where you do the market study and the need study and and you you make those projections you bring in the, the experts we had in the original plan you know we had the 420 units we had many of those coming in um after 10 years and and what we heard was that's too long a construction period and so what what we've suggested is okay well we know there's a demand now for at least 160 new assisted living units and and we are confident that that demand will remain and so we're um, so we're recommending let, let's go ahead and do that in the early phase and then let's work on um, building a new center for health and fitness pool and wellness pavilion in the second phase and so what you do is you you make the analysis you you work with the experts and then you you, you kind of come up with a strategy and so uh, we, we think ours is is sound. Uh, we got input, yes, no, last night. Um, and again, most of the comment that we got, in my opinion, was around impacts uh, that that people are perceiving are going to happen to them. And so our mm-hmm. position, and it was, and it was said by it's one of our board not in my members, backyard kind of situation. Yeah, right. and it was said very right. eloquently by one of our board members is we got to know what those impacts are. We don't so that we all know what that is and the way that you know what they are is you, you put a concept out there and you study it and then you, you revise it and you come with alternatives and, and that is what the environmental impact review process and the, the CEQA or California Environmental Quality Act uh, really uh, has in mind when, when they have you go through this EIR process. So we're, um, we're going through it. We're a public agency. Um, one thing that gets me in trouble when I say it, but I believe it, is if our healthy living campus is stressing people out, that that's a problem for us. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but once it's done, once it's done, it'll be just a wonderful resource for our community yeah. and for particularly for our seniors. It just sounds like a, 
a wonderful place for our seniors to be able to go and to and to be social because as we know you know the and as you indicated the mental impact can really extend you know the quality of life and in lifespan right. as well i think that connection is what is that connection is what's so important and why we want to have that campus kind of reflect who we are as a community health organization and as a public agency we're we're listening we're making changes we we had uh one person last night who's who's very involved in in development in the Redondo area you know comment that he he wasn't aware of of a, of a project that had made this many changes before they did the draft EIR the draft EIR and and so we're trying and and I know some people are frustrated but uh, we're going to keep working on it we're going to keep listening and and uh, together uh, build a healthy beach community Yes, and I'm glad you're doing this now because not too far down the road, I'm probably going to be one of your residents. Well, you know, <laughs> got to get that going. That's our hope. Yeah, that we can yeah. keep people in the community. That's our hope. Yeah. And and you know, with technology today, I watched something on TV last night with e- Elon Musk, and uh, Jay Leno was uh, he was with Jay Leno doing that car show that he does and and Elon Musk took him into over to the Hawthorne campus and they went through the boring tunnel and he was showing him all these new cars and stuff and one of the things and Tom I can't remember if it was you that we spoke to about this a couple of years ago when we were on this topic of the healthy living campus buildings now are being constructed you know in LA especially you build something you have to build parking for it. you have to provide so much parking for it and I'm hearing that many of these parking structures that are being built now can later be converted into right. for other uses when we use when we you know less cars or flying cars or uh all ride sharing you know and all the other ways that we're we're transporting ourselves around now you know you know between bicycles and Uber and Lyft some a lot of families are getting rid of that second car they don't need them um, and right. did, as I said, I don't remember if it was you we spoke to about that, but is that something that you take into account in your planning phase here? Absolutely. You know, I mean, parking is, is the key. I've, I've, as you know, been in local government and city management for over 30 years, and every project I've ever done, whether it's public or private, and, and I, this is going to maybe surprise people, always comes back to parking. It, it, it does. Obviously. <laughs> It's always Obviously, at the heart of everything. It's so not. It sexy. really is, and so uh, <laughs> that was a topic of discussion last night, where with the potential of aquatics and a wellness pavilion and the Center for Health and Fitness in Phase Two, there is a large parking structure, uh, above ground parking structure, and and there were concerns about the height of that structure. Uh, we would be building that structure in a way that it could be converted uh, if it was not needed. Uh-huh. And so, to your point, uh, we would be designing it that way. We would love to build uh, less parking. That's currently the the code requirement. We would love for people to walk uh, to the pool or or um, take some sort of shared transit if if that wasn't a possible uh, wasn't a possibility. We'd love to build uh, less parking for health reasons, and and also um, it costs a lot of money to build parking. And and so that was a a, a major comment last night was the size of the parking structure. So through our EIR process, we want to work it on, okay, how can we reduce that? And what does that look like? And could it be 
convert it later. And so our, our plan would be to convert it later. And and, uh, and you can do that with above-ground parking. You can't really convert underground parking very well. So, right, right. Well, that's exciting. Well, yeah, that's yeah exciting. sounds great. And it, yes. I think that – yeah. Well, I think part of the, the project also involves um, bike lanes, right? Is that still going to be kind of part of the project to, to have biking access? It is. We, we have received a, a – a grant uh, from um, LA County Metro uh, and so uh, Measure M money and so we do have a grant for a bike lane that would go along Diamond and uh, Flagler where it's closed there um, you know as most people know Flagler comes from Barrel and then it turns uh, turns into Tower Street but if but then there's a an old roadway that that goes through there that's the old Flagler lane and we're proposing a bike lane there um, we want to make sure that that people want that. We heard from some last night that they don't want that, um, and so um, that'll be part of the project and part of what we study. But we, it's part of our uh, master plan that that the cities have approved and uh, the bike master plan. And so, yeah, we're we're encouraged to also have uh, a bike path uh, and lane, and and we have uh, money from Measure M to help fund it if if that's something that the community wants. So that's really the key. Oh, yeah. We want to find out. We really we want to find out what the community wants, and we want to understand uh, what the impacts are. So we've put something out there to uh, move forward, and and our plan is to study that over the next year. We'll be doing this for the next year. I I don't envision uh, the board looking at um, a final EIR until uh, probably about this time, or maybe a little earlier, maybe spring of 2021. And the public will mm-hmm. see a draft of the the public will see a draft of the EIR with lots of public hearings, lots of comment opportunity, probably in the fall uh, of this year. Well, I I'll, I'll I got to give you kudos, Tom, because you got you guys have been doing this from the beginning, the, the community outreach. You know, you you you've been holding meetings and and getting input from the community uh, for for years now. Um, and then this will this will be the next phase. I don't know any any development, and as you n- well know, development <laughs> Redondo Beach is a re- is a real sore point with a lot of people. Um, mm. So no, you cannot be faulted for not outreach. If, P- if a- anybody that hasn't heard about this, anybody that comes back here from now and starts complaining has no right to complain. You know they they weren't paying attention, they weren't listening, they didn't make the effort to engage uh, because you guys have done phenomenal community outreach. Um, so um, I, I, I wanted to just have you briefly touch on, uh, you mentioned you have 40 programs. Beach City's Health District offers the community 40 different programs. But before we touch on that, what else should we know about the uh, Healthy Living Campus? Is there anything else you want to touch on that topic? No, I just would urge, urge people to stay engaged um, to the degree possible, uh, Hopefully we can be patient as we get the data here. I, I know uh, people have opinions about impacts. Let, let's get the let, let's get the data on it. Uh, we now have the direction to do that on a on a scaled down project, and so uh, we're going to go get that data as quickly as we can and, and get it out to the community. And and uh, so we we love the involvement, we love the engagement, and we hope people will. Uh, be patient for the data, and, and we should have that uh, in a few months, and we look forward to uh, continuing to build this together with the community. Um, there is an old adage about opinions, but I'm not going to say it because I don't think it's uh, PG. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah, especially in the yeah. South Bay, uh, right? No lack of opinions, right. that's for sure. Yes, yes. So, uh, Tom, just as I said briefly, 40 mm-hmm. different programs. You guys have literally been a lifesaver during during the last four months uh, with, with all of your programs. Uh, just Can you just briefly touch on that, um, some of the more popular ones uh, and, and how they're helping the community? Because they are fantastic. What you guys have been doing is just fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we tend to focus across the lifespan. So, of course, we have our youth. Uh, services programs and so we're talking with the schools about how do we continue to come into the schools with uh, a program called mind up which helps students uh, and children you know get coping mechanisms early on in their life or we, we're trying to work with uh, people when they're young obviously to develop those those good coping skills and so uh, we have a lot of um, youth service programs whether it's mind up we have programs around nutrition uh, we have the school gardens uh, we're doing our our youth uh, our youth committee is over a hundred kids uh, now, which is which is crazy. It's it's they're absolutely engaged. Um, they did a lot of work around vaping that uh, resulted in in Manhattan Beach and uh, Redondo and Hermosa all uh, making policy changes regarding smoking. And so, uh, youth programs are very vibrant. Really doing a lot of work around youth mental health. Uh, that's a, a big area of focus for us. We have service providers that we work with. We're working with the schools. And then we're working, obviously, uh, we have a drug-free communities grant from uh, the federal government. And then we're also working on creating a place where youth uh, can come to be well. It's called a Youth Wellness Center. And we're going to be uh, working on that. And so uh, youth continues to be a huge focus. Uh, With adults, we really work with the Blue Zones work that we've done with uh, groups of people getting together around healthy activities we have lots of uh, MOAI groups that are called where people can get together and go for a walk or they can get together uh, for a vegan meal. And we're moving all of those programs into the virtual environment in the, in the COVID era. Um, also, uh, with older adults, uh, we continue to provide the services that I mentioned to the over 400 uh, adults. Uh, that number is growing in the last four months because people, as they're becoming aware of our services, are saying, hey, that's, that's great that I can have these errands done and you know what else can you do and so we're we're getting a lot more interest in that just while I'm thinking about it if anybody has any question or any concerns or wants to know what services are available they should call our hotline which is staffed every day during covid at 310-374-3426 extension 256 uh we're doing studies uh, uh also around cognitive health and the connection between lifestyle and healthy living and cognitive health. And we have two uh, neurologists um, that believe that your uh, your quality of life and the decisions you make during your life and the healthy decisions you make uh, can reduce the onset of dementia. And so we're doing a study around that and the older adult uh, side of things. And so we basically align our programs uh, with our health priorities and our health priorities are around nutrition, cognitive health, uh, mental health and happiness, or social emotional health, um, and and so those are just uh, a few of the programs that that we're working on. Just a few, just a, a few. You have a whole bunch out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we urge people to come check. You know, we have a very strong presence in social media, and uh, urge people to come to our website at bchd. dot org. Yeah, you you do you do provide so many great services, and you know it's interesting, Tom. 
we we spoke briefly about stress in the community, and it's so interesting because this pandemic, like we didn't have enough stress to begin with, and then this happens, and there's even more stress. But I'm actually hearing from quite a few parents that this time they are enjoying it so much because there are no schedules. They're not picking up the kids and taking them here and taking them there and to this, you know, soccer camp. And everybody has been for so many decades now so tightly scheduled. And I'm hearing from people that it's just such a pleasure to spend time with your family without the stresses of running around, you know, all the time, you know, keeping to a schedule with all of the activities that, that kids have, you know, on their, you know, on their table today. It's uh, so, so there is there, there, I think that there is some silver lining to this. Um, And the fact that you're seeing more families out and about, it's really funny. There was this great meme, like the first week or two this happened. It was a before and after shot before COVID and it was a family of five or six all sitting in the in the living room. Everybody was looking at their screens. After COVID, it showed the same family out riding their bicycles. Right. Uh, so so there there could be some good to come out of this. Oh, we agree 100%. I think it it is a, a bit of a reset. And one of the things we talked about last night, and maybe we could wrap up on this, is the um, – this graphic that we put out and we'll, we'll put it on our website and we'll, we'll send it over to you, but it's a great graphic that talks about what do I want to be during COVID-19 and they have uh, sort of first the fear zone, then the learning zone and then the growth zone. And I think you just described that, that we're kind of moving into the growth zone that, uh, you know, initially I got mad easily. I'm speaking for myself here. Um, now I'm becoming more aware of the situation and, and thinking about how to act. And then in the growth zone, I'm I'm living in the present and focusing on the future and um, sort of looking for those those opportunities. Because I think we're seeing, um, it's personally my opinion, but I think people are recognizing that this COVID-19 is obviously something to to survive, but we want to do more than survive it because it is going to represent a change in how we live and we can move into that growth zone, which you just described by that, that family. Yeah. Sort of a reset. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes we need a reset. Tom, you know, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks. And and would you just give out one more time your phone number and the website address for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, so this is our hotline that's staffed every day during working hours, even the weekends, uh, during COVID, so 310-374-3426, extension 256, and then our website is bchd.org. bchd.org. Thank you, yep. Tom. Um, okay, we've okay. been speaking with Tom Backley from the Beach Cities Health District this morning. Got a lot of great information from him. He's always a font of information. Uh, so uh, Ed, if you didn't catch the whole show, you can listen to this, you know, on podcast. Uh, at, you don't want to miss it. A lot of good information. Uh, Deanne, Absolutely. thank you again. Thank you, Jackie. This has been great. Thank you, Tom. That was uh, lots of great information. Very helpful. Great. Thank Very you. Very helpful. All right. Well, that's our show, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and be sure to tune in tomorrow morning for Manhattan Beach Chamber 360. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now.